0: Amen. Thank you for the Dan. Well, after a year and a half of looking at the Godhead, we are going to move on tonight and begin another series. And <coughs> excuse me, we're going to spend the next few weeks covering the topic of divine inspiration. And of course, we're talking about the Word of God. Tonight is our first lesson in this particular study, and we're going to look at tonight the presumption. In favor of the Bible. Why we needed the Bible. Now I guess if you want to kind of boil it down, first of all, understand something. If if we are if we are going to know God, would you agree? It's up to God to reveal Himself to us. Absolutely. And if He's going to speak to us, he has to speak to us in a language in a language we can we can do what with? We can understand. So if you want to kind of boil it down, mankind, you and I, we needed a divine revelation wrapped in human language. And that's what God has done for us. And Jeremy preached about that just a week or so ago. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the Word became flesh. So God speaks to us in human language. Uh, Now, by the way, Uh, We have the written word. Christ is the living word. And before Christ came into our world, before we have a written Bible, and and again we realize uh, it was passed down through the ages uh, from the time of Moses uh, until John wrote the book of Revelation. But even before God revealed himself in a particular language, in human language, we had uh, a revelation of God in His created works, and we call that nature. Go to Romans chapter 1. Let's look at verses 19 and 20. Thank you, Dan. Now, of course, Paul is writing, of course, uh, to the unsaved of the world. I mean, he's speaking to what God was doing here. And he reminds us in verse 18 that mankind had tried to suppress, to hold back the truth of God. And Paul gives a wonderful statement here. And he said, we can know God, even without his written word. We can know there is a God. Of course, you know, Paul said, God... He's shown it in them, and he showed it unto them. Now, there are four things here that are unmistakable in a testimony to the existence of a creator. And also understand uh, Daniel read it a moment ago. Look at the last part of verse 20. So that they are without what? Excuse me. What's that mean? Yeah. There's no reason. There's no excuse, no matter how hard we try, man is without excuse because God has revealed himself through his creation. So before we talk about these four characteristics, what in the world does that mean? How has God revealed himself through creation? Now come on, Dan, does that really make sense? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Now, uh, and we'll talk more about this as we get through our lesson tonight, but if if we were to go to a a museum or wherever it might be, and we see some kind of a painting on a wall, what's one thing we know for sure about that painting? If there's a painting, there has to be what? An art. Somebody painted that thing. It didn't just happen. Somebody painted that. And so what Paul is saying, look, um, he, he talks about these invisible things. Paul says these invisible things are clearly seen. And like you said, then look around. How can you not believe that everything we see was created by something or someone? And so Paul says nature itself is an unmistakable testimony that there is a creator. In fact, Paul said, there's so much evidence in nature around us, even without the book, man is without excuse. And, and by the way, I think about this. Throughout human history, would you agree that mankind has for the most part been religious? How's that? They worship a lot of things. Now, many of them, Most of them did not worship the true God, but they have been religious. So let's look at the uh, things that Paul says about this truth, the characteristic of this truth that's revealed in nature. First of all, uh, Paul says uh, that which is uh, maybe known of them is, is manifest in them. And he says in verse 20, the invisible things are clearly seen. So Paul says it's visible. Look around you. The invisible things you don't know about God are made visible. The second thing, Paul says in verse 20, we understand those things by the things that are made. Now think about this. As we look around our world, and we consider all these things around us, and we begin to think on those things, we have to come to some kind of conclusion. Did it just appear on the scene? Or did something cause it to appear? Someone, did someone create it? And that's the conclusion we come to. It's understood. <laughs> Paul also says that God, these things are uh, invisible from the very beginning. Since the creation of the world. Before man had a Bible, he should, look, he should know there's what? There's a God. There is a Creator. Just look around you. And so it's, since it's been since the creation of the world, Paul says that, it is constant, it is ongoing, and it is changeless. Now, now again, think about this. Now, Brother Marvin and I were talking today. I'm glad for the, the time this word of God. But also notice this testimony of creation is timeless. Every age, every generation. I don't care how far you go back and if the Lord carries how much we go forward, it is timeless. But then Paul says, not only is it clearly seen, not only is it understood, not only has it been around since creation of the world, Paul says, it reveals God's eternal power and divine nature. Now, Dan, you ask a, in my mind, a silly question a while ago. You asked me how many stars I could make. Why is that silly? I can't make one. I can't make one. Now, think about that. In fact, the matter, I can't create anything. Now, I can take some of the things God's already created, put them together, maybe build something, i put something together, but I cannot create it. So, it's through creation itself, the nature, that Paul said, man should be able to find, to understand somebody has a lot of power here. There has to be of being greater than we are. And so Paul said we can know that simply through nature, through creation. But if we are going to understand the love of God, if we're going to understand the grace of God, we have to have the Word of God and look into His Son, Jesus Christ. That is where those things are explained. So again, nature says, yes, there is a God. But it can't tell us about the love of God or the grace of God. Now, again, what you and I can know from creation about God certainly has been revealed by God. And we see clues all around us. uh, Clues to God's existence. And, uh, And by the way, this is known by scholars as uh, it's called general revelation, a general revelation from God. Now, also understand, human beings have never discovered God on their own. God has always come looking for us. And by the way, that precept goes back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, what were they doing? After they sinned. They were doing what? Hiding, hiding from who? From he was hiding from God. Who came looking for them? God did. God always comes looking for man. And you, we ask this question often, and I don't want to forget the answer to this, what can God do? Whatever He wants to. And who has a right to question Him in that? No one does. So we have to understand... That God could have chosen in his providence to keep us in ignorance about himself. But I think you could agree, I am so thankful that he chose to reveal himself. Generally in nature, general revelation, but specifically through the scriptures and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says right away, even from nature, man is without what? Excuse. Hands down. And because God has revealed certain facts about himself that we see everywhere in nature, one day everybody will stand before God. And give an account before him of why they chose to ignore his existence and his character. So the question that I have heard several times over the years. In fact, I was listening to a radio a, a video this day, a clip, and uh, one young lady. Ask the question, how could a loving God send anyone to hell? Say what? He didn't, and he won't. He said, people go, they go by their own choice. And their question, they narrow it down, especially someone who's never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. How could God send that person to hell? Now, first of all, I don't know how long this has been going on now. I just noticed a few years ago, I had someone in our family taking some rehab courses through Claremont County. And everything that we were teaching was not about facts, but how do you feel? What do you feel about this? What do you feel about that? When it comes to understanding God, what do our feelings matter? Say what? Not, very much, not saying, It's hard to love God. But I understand that. But folks, we need facts. We need the facts. And the fact of the matter is, The Bible says, in creation itself, God has revealed himself plainly to everyone. And again, to the point, it renders them with no excuse. They have no excuse. But also believe that the Bible teaches that mankind has sort of an inner sense of what God requires, but they choose not to live up to it. Paul says they suppress the truth, they hold it back. They don't want to hear it. And this has been true throughout the ages. Man's moral standards has always been better than their behavior. And is true even today. So the Bible is very clear. If man chooses to suppress the truth of God in order to live their own way, the Bible says they are without excuse. They are without excuse. So they know the truth. It's been revealed through creation. And understand this. They are going to have to suffer the consequences of ignoring the truth of God. No man has excuse what a paradox (laughs) the Bible says that God's invisible qualities are clearly seen in nature so the question is how how can that be well first of all who created everything God did And God created our world with natural processes. And he created them with a cause and effect. Everything you see has a cause except God. He is uncaused. Now, I mentioned a while ago, we see a painting, and right away, we conclude there's an artist. Right? Now, Dan, I can't create a star, and I can't paint either. I have trouble painting a wall in my house. But understand, if I see a, a portrait or a painting, I know there's an artist. But as we observe this tremendous creation around us, now think about this. I think the only rational conclusion is there has to be a supreme creator. And whoever it is, or whatever it is, this creator, which you agree, has to have eternal power. (laughs) And I think it includes the fact of divinity so that's the part people are trying to hold back Paul addressed that in verse 18 of Romans 1 they're trying to suppress that truth now my question would be uh, and help me out here why in the world would people want to suppress that truth okay somebody else why would they want to suppress that truth Oh, yeah, and these are so true. Both of these are true. Man doesn't want that. Psalm 19, the first four verses. Thank you, Phyllis. David said in verse 1 that even the heavens declare the glory of God. I had to take my dad for a endograph the other day. And uh, it's just a test they do, check your vascular system. And he couldn't see what I could see because I was watching on on the screen. I couldn't change channels, so I had to watch that channel that was on there. But anyway... As I saw the motions in the blood vessels, it reminded me how intricately, how intricately God has made us. And Psalm 139 came to my mind. And my friend, I want to tell you, this, it's amazing to me. But I think about David and the years he spent shepherding sheep. The nights out there in the open pasture lands and getting up and what do he see? Yeah. And it amazed him. And I don't know for sure, but I, unless I, I misunderstand, every time David looked up to the heavens, he said to himself, There is the glory of God. It's on display. And then in verse 2, he says, the day, Every day talks about it, the night reveals that knowledge. And verse 3, it's a universal language. There is no speech or language where that voice is not heard. Meaning what? Everybody could see it. It's right there. Displaying the glory of God. So David says this. One look at creation. One gaze into the skies, in all its splendor, tells people there's a mighty power that made this world. Not just an abstract, not an impersonal force, but a personal God made this world. So creation shows both God's eternal power and it also shows his divine nature. So look around you in creation. Does creation tell us that God is a mighty God? How is (laughs) that? You can see it. It reveals a God of might. It reveals a God of intelligence. It reveals a God of intricate detail, a God of order, a God of beauty, a God of power, but also a God who controls all of these forces. I don't have the verse in our notes in that, but Paul wrote to the Colossian Church, chapter 1, about verse 16, he before all things, And by Him all things consist. He holds all things together. Acts 14, verse 17. Thank you, Dan. The Apostle Paul was speaking here. He's on... He's at Mars Hill, and it's where all these intellectuals have come together to hear and tell something new. They've already called Paul a seed picker, and Paul is telling them about that unknown God they had an idol to, and he said, I want you to know something. Now remember, he's, he's speaking to Gentile pagans. He says, God has left you a witness. The fact that man, he's done good, he gives all of his rain from heaven, fruitful seasons come from him, and he fills our, he fills our hearts with food and, and joy. And what the Bible says to us tonight is that God has always been trying to get our attention. Hey, look up here. Look around you and see me. And the first witness that people should notice is a good thing God has made and provided abundantly for all of us the rains, the seasons, the fruitful season, food, and even joy. And the reason that God gives this general revelation, his hope is that he can encourage everyone who's watching and looking to seek God. To find out who this God is. So the fact that, even here in Acts 14, The fact that God allowed men to follow their own ways it was not a concession to their sinfulness, but it was a gracious a gracious, patient God who's reaching out, waiting for people to see what's in plain view. Let me back up and make a correction here. Verse 17. That's not at Mars Hill. This is another I was thinking of chapter 17. But anyway. The qualities of God they are all revealed through Scripture. But the problem is, this testimony of creation, it was distorted in chapter 3 of Genesis. Look what it says, verse 17 through 19. So I guess my question is, did Adam and Eve's sin affect creation? Yes. In fact, their sin brought about a divine curse on the whole natural order. And the immediate result was thorns and thistles. And we know that even natural disasters have been reoccurring since Adam's day, even up to ours. So knowing that God exists is not enough. People need to learn that God is loving. And we can't learn that through creation. People need to understand what God did to show that love to us. And they also need to be shown how they can respond to God's love and accept his forgiveness of their sins. So yes, creation tells us there must be a God. But it doesn't give us a complete unveiling of the character of God creation reveals his wisdom it reveals his power but it doesn't it gives what it simply doesn't give us a perfect presentation of his mercy and his love and and just think about it for just a moment almost well every pagan religion I've ever read of or read of in the Bible What do they think about their gods? Do they feel like they can draw near to him? To them? No. They're afraid of them. And my friend, that's all we know about God, is his power. There's a no reason to be afraid. And that's why we need to know about his love and his mercy. So because creation is now under the curse... Without a doubt, it's imperfect, because now it's been marred by sin. And so an imperfect creation cannot be a perfect medium for revealing God. Now think about this for a moment. I know Jesse is a little bit touched in the head. Anybody who likes snow, as much as he does, can't be all right. Uh, I forget who I was talking to when we had that snow the other day. And we both agreed, I forget who it was, we've had enough for this year. We're ready for spring. How many likes the springtime? Yeah. Now think about this. The testimony of creation... At times, seems to contradict itself. Most people do like springtime, and I've met several through the year, through the years, who, when fall comes and things begin to, plants begin to die, it, it really throws them into depression. But in the springtime. God has a way of decorating the landscape, does he not? The trees begin to bud. Leaves begin to form. Flowers begin to bloom. We begin to hear the joyful songs of the birds. And we look at that and we think, man, God is surely good. I see his goodness In this, but not so much in the winter time. Not not when the countryside is desolate, the trees have no leaves and they're barren, and it's almost as though a cloud of death is kind of resting over everything. Was looking at our patio door the other evening, and she said, Look at the sky. Look at the colors of the evening. And, and we, we enjoy that. There's times we've stood maybe beside the seashore and we watched the sun setting. On the calm waters, so quiet, so surreal, and we have no problem ascribing that that particular picture in our minds, what we're seeing, ascribing that to the hand of a divine artist. But go to the same seashore on a stormy night. Does does our perspective change? Absolutely. We hear the roaring of the waves. We hear the howling wind. The boats battling the angry waves. Then we're tempted to wonder, Is God really at the helm? I've never been to the Grand Canyon. Stood beside that, but I've been to Niagara Falls. I've seen pictures of the Grand Canyon. And to we stand there and see those things... Clearly, we see the hand of God, the power of God seems to be so evident. But what about when earthquakes come? Or volcanic eruptions, especially for the unsaved. If there's a God, why would He allow that? So, without a doubt, the testimony of nature at times is conflicting. And that's because of what sin has done to our world. And it's marred God's handiwork. So, God's creation does reveal to mankind... His natural attributes, but creation does not reveal much of his moral perfections. Why would I say that? Nature has no 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 forgiveness. Nature shows no mercy. And so, if all we had as our source is creation, we're in trouble. We would. Never discover the fact that God wants to forgive sinners. We would never know that God is gracious and merciful and kind. So, because of that, while creation has its place, but because of its limitations, we needed a written revelation from God. And my friend, we have it right here. God's word to us. And we have to remember our limitations. And even our ignorance reveal our need. Because when it comes uh, to things concerning God, for the most part, we are in darkness. And my friend, you take away this book. Take away his written word. We would know nothing about his character. We would know nothing about his moral attributes. We wouldn't know about his attitude toward us. And we would never know what God expects from us without the written word. So nature is not the perfect medium, and no matter what age people lived in, they had the same nature before them that we do. So what did they discover about the character of God? How far did they get in their knowledge of God? What did they get from it? Now I want to go to Acts 17 where Paul's on Mars Hill, okay? Thank you, Dan. Paul there at the famous city of Athens, known for the philosophical culture. He looks around and sees all different kinds of altars, different kind of gods. But what's the one that caught his what's the one that caught his attention? One to the unknown God. Now think about this. I wonder why that was there? Yeah, In case we forgot one. This, like you said, Dan, we're covering all of our bases. The unknown God, and that's sad because even today, that same condition prevails. Any country that has not been illumined by the light of the Holy Bible, the scriptures, you'll find that those people know no more about the character of God, of the living God, than they did 2,000 years ago. They are in darkness. And so, man, without a doubt, is in darkness concerning himself. Some of the age old questions Where did I come from? What am I? Am I nothing more than a reasoning animal? Do I have an immortal soul? What's the purpose of my existence? Why am I here in this world at all? What's the end goal of my life? How, how, how should I use my time? How should I use my talents? Should I live only for today? Now, wouldn't you agree that's the question mankind's been asking asking for years? So where do we find answers to those questions? Where's the only place to find answers to those questions? The Word of God. (laughs) What about when I die? Do I... Perish like the beast of the field? Or is death just another portal to another world? So, if it is, where am I headed? Wow. Good questions. My friend, we take away the word of God take away the scriptures, and we eliminate the light that God's word shines on those questions, where are we going to go to get a a good answer? There's no place to go. So there's a need for the word of God. I believe this guy was a Roman historian and some of his best works on the rise and fall of Rome. He was skeptical of a God. He once said this, Since therefore the most sublime efforts of philosophy can extend no farther than feebly to point out the desire, the hope, or at most the possibility of a future state. There is nothing except a divine revelation that can ascertain the existence and describe the condition of the invisible country which is destined to receive souls of men after their separation from the body. Good words. So even our experiences tell us we have a real need for God's Word. We really, really do. There are problems that we face that our wisdom cannot solve. There are obstacles that come down our path in life that we cannot overcome. And there are enemies that we cannot conquer Without the word of God. Doesn't matter how long we've been saved, we are in desperate need of counsel. We are in desperate need of strength and courage. And when those trials and tribulations come and they begin to test our heart, we need something to bring us comfort and to bring us cheer. And I want to say, a pat on the back and say, cheer up doesn't always help. We need the Word of God. But not only does our personal life reveal, even our corporate life reveals our need. Now think about this. I think most of you know. There are only three things in this world instituted by God. The first one was the family. Number two was government. And number three was the church. That's it. Nothing else in this world was instituted by God. So why do you think God instituted government? Why did he leave us to ourselves? What? God wants order? Wow. Does God know what he's doing? Sure he does. in the after the days of Joshua in the early parts of the book of judges the problem with the jew was true of all mankind they were doing what was right in their own eyes and my friend that destroys law and order So, somehow, man realized, at least civilized man realized, there has to be some kind of moral code. There has to be some kind of ethical standard. But who's going to set it? Who's going to fix that standard? Who's going to say, well, here that standard is? And suppose you ask 100 people for their opinion, what are you going to get? A hundred opinions. So if we didn't have the Word of God to appeal to, how were we going to set it up? And by the way, even though our nation doesn't want to admit it, do you know what our laws are based on today in our country? On the Bible. On the very Word of God. So man does need corporately divine revelation. So my question is, If man says man does need it, is God able to supply that need? Sure He does. And because God is able to do it, I think it's not unreasonable to say, you know what, I believe He will. And He has. The very Word of God. Well... Aren't you glad that God didn't leave us to grope in the dark? He gave us his divine instructions. I think you'll agree with my opinion on this. For me, it is harder to believe That his universe had no creator than it is to believe in the beginning God. The Bible tells us that. But also, the Bible tells me Christianity has a divine founder now you think about this folks from a human perspective what chances did the church have in surviving None. none huh. but the jewish scholar was right when he told the officials If this thing is of God, you cannot stop it. And guess what? They couldn't. So if there is a personal God, and only a fool would deny his existence, and if we are the works of his hands, there's no way God is going to leave us in doubt. how to deal with our eternal welfare. So the bottom line is this. God knew that mankind needed divine revelation, and what did he do? He gave it to us. He gave it to us. So without a doubt, There is a presumption in the favor of the word of God. And I think you'll agree. I am so glad he gave us his word. All right, let's stop there for tonight.